All right, everybody, please take the last of your pictures before we head out. We will not be returning to the lighthouse. Our tour guide has been great. We're doing a tour of all the significant places in St. Augustine. The city is so old and there's so much history that most of the time you have to go on five different tours to get the full history. This is some guy found on social media, videos of all the neat places he can show you, but it's all under the table. He lets you know up front that your ticket is basically him paying off workers at the popular spots to offer an exclusive and private tour. When I say private, I mean no other tour groups. There's about 15 of us here. There's no waivers, no accommodations, no slowing down. If you want to see where he's going to take you, you better keep up. We're in the basement of the lighthouse. We already went up to the top, got to see the lens and all the crowded on the railings. He made us walk all the way to the top first so that he could talk as we walked back down. Our group is in the basement, basically the living quarters for the lighthouse keepers. It's small, but doable. I guess if you are keeping a city and boaters safe, it's all in a day's work. I've just finished taking all the panoramas of the area. Another perk, he doesn't limit photography, but he asks that you don't get him in this shot. I'm so engulfed in my phone, taking the perfect shot of the window. I don't notice everyone has left the room. I can still hear them outside. So just one more picture. Perfect. Just the shot I've been trying to get. I glance up and see no one in the room. I walk out into the hall and it's dead silent. Crap. They must have already left. I'm going to have to haul butt to catch up. (laughs) I semi-sprint down the hall to the exit sign. I place my hand on the doorknob and push, but the door doesn't budge. I stand there for a moment, confused. This says exit. I rattle the door and the door shuffles slightly, but I make no progress on pushing through. I start banging on the door and yelling that I'm locked in. I yell until I'm blue in the face and my fists are sore. I'm catching my breath to start yelling again when I hear faint giggles coming from up above me. The tour guy said the place had some ghosts, but these are clear as day. Girls playing somewhere up above. Hello? Who's up there? I call out. Parents have to come looking for their kids. Or maybe there's another way in now. I begin walking up the stairs. As I climb up, the lapping and playing grows louder and louder. It's echoing off the walls. I'm about halfway up when I hear the giggling below me. What? They were just above me. These stupid kids must be playing a prank on me, locking me in and then messing with me. Whatever. I'm so not in the mood for this. We're supposed to see a cool speakeasy after the lighthouse, and thanks to these little brats, I'm going to miss it. You better stop messing with me and let me out. I check my phone. It says I have service, but I'm nervous to call. Who would I even call? The police? And get a trespassing charge? Maybe if I make it to the top, I can flag someone down. Yes, that's what I'll do. I'll just wait for another group or person to walk by. I climb and I climb 
and I climb up the sprawling steps. Little edges after each flight of stairs. Some flights have windows. I stop to catch my breath and give my legs a break. I look out the window and see a group of kids nearby, playing. Those must be them. I sneer at them in the window. Finally, after an eternity, I make it to the top. The door to the overlook is unlocked. Thank goodness. I check the handle to make sure it won't lock me out up here. Better yet, I pull my book out of my backpack and wedge it between the door and the frame. There. Now I won't get locked out. I walk around the entirety of the overlook, waiting for someone to walk by. I don't want to miss spotting them, so I keep walking. When I'm rounding the curve, I see my book has been pulled in some and the door is barely staying open. I approach it to fix the book, but just as my hand reaches the book, it's pulled in and the door slams shut. You are so dead! I yell as I pound on the door. I hear giggling on the other side, the same giggling as before. I'm pressing my ear to the door to listen to the two children, and I hear a giggle behind me. I whip around to catch the glimpse of someone walking just out of view, around the curve of the lighthouse. I run to catch them. They're going to be so sorry when I get my hands on them, but I can't catch them. They're too far in front of me. Mm. I'll run the other way around and catch them off guard. I turn around, but never run into them. I've made a full rotation on top of the lighthouse. I'm back at the door. I try it because I'm just so fed up. And it opens. I'm back inside the lighthouse. I walk down the stairs and make it to the bottom. I find the exit sign and this door is unlocked too. I walk out of the lighthouse, relieved. As the door is starting to shut, I hear giggling, and you're it. Hey guys, it's Holly and Brittany, two sisters who take a deep dive into the history of the world's most haunted places and paranormal happenings. This is Sisterstitious, and it's about to get spooky. Since every good ghost story starts at the beginning, that is where we are going to begin. St. Augustine was founded on September 8, 1565 by Spanish explorer Pedro Menendez de Avila. The French had also come to Florida and tried establishing their own colony in 1564, known as Fort Caroline in what is now present-day Jacksonville. This area of land was to be a safe haven for the Huguenots who were being persecuted in France because they were Protestant and not Catholic. Sent by King Philip II of Spain, Menendez was told to explore Florida and settle the region, but he was also ordered to eliminate the Huguenot French as they were seen as a threat and encroaching on Spain's claimed land. 
With both the French and Spanish planning on attacking the other, the French set out in ships to head towards St. Augustine, but a massive storm derailed their plans and the French found themselves shipwrecked just south of St. Augustine. Knowing that the French fort was loosely protected with only 20 soldiers left to defend it, Menendez and his fleet arrived at Fort Caroline by foot in a surprise attack. The Spanish were able to capture the fort easily, and they massacred most of the population, only sparing women and children who were taken as prisoners and sent to Cuba. Those they killed were hung from trees with the inscription that read, hung not as a Frenchman, but as Lutherans. He then renamed the fort San Mateo. When Menendez and his crew marched back to St. Augustine, the native Timagua, who was sharing their land with the Spanish, informed him that they discovered some French shipwreck survivors in an inlet near the south end of Anastasia Island. As the French surrendered, Menendez at first accepted, but ended up executing 134 of the men. He did spare some soldiers though, which included the few who said they were Catholic and some who had skills that would help the Spanish survive. The inlet and river that still sits in between the island and the mainland is called Mantazas, which means slaughters in Spanish. After the Anglo-Spanish War began between England and Spain, Sir Francis Drake of England and his men decided to stop by St. Augustine. They ended up destroying and burning the settlement along with the fort of San Juan to try and get back at Menendez for executing the French Huguenot colonists. Because of the destruction, Menendez and the settlers were forced to evacuate. When the English left, Menendez and his original settlers returned to St. Augustine to find little of the settlement remaining. With protections needed for the area, Queen Regent Mariana ordered that the funds needed to be distributed to construct a permanent fortress. The construction began in 1672, and they primarily used a material called coquina, which is a natural material from the area made up of limestone and shelves. The Casillo de San Marcos was finally completed in 1695. In order to stay protected during the building of the fortress, a watchtower was built to prevent attacks. This watchtower was also built with coquina and lasted almost 200 years until it toppled into the sea. In 1738, a settlement was to be created for runaway slaves. This free black community would be named Fort Mose, and it was a military outpost for St. Augustine. Those that escaped slavery and made their way to Fort Mose would have to enlist in their military and convert to Catholicism in exchange for their freedom. This settlement upset the British, and in 1752, James Oglethorpe came in, took over the fort, and destroyed it. However, the Spanish rebuilt the fort, and free people lived there until the British occupation of East Florida in 1763. Fort Mose was the first free African-American community in the United States. In 1763, the Treaty of Paris was signed and ceded Florida to Great Britain. The Spanish colonists left Florida for Cuba, and Florida then became the 14th and 15th colonies of North America. Great Britain needed to repopulate the area and gave incentives to pioneers promising land for good character. The British ruled the area for 20 years, adding on to already established Spanish homes and building more. The community was able to thrive due to agriculture and cattle ranching. Florida was returned to Spain once again due to the 1783 Treaty of Paris. The second Spanish period lasted from 1784 to 1821, and due to the Peninsular War against Napoleon, Spain could not continue to invest in Florida, but the United States felt Florida vital, so the Transcontinental Treaty was created between the United States and Spain that ceded Florida to the U.S. 
1821, Andrew Jackson established a new territorial government and Americans from other areas began to move into the area. This also did not go smoothly as there would be issues with local indigenous groups that refused to leave the area without a fight. Three seminal wars took place during this time. In 1845, the Florida Territory was granted into the Union as the state of Florida. But in January 1861, Florida seceded from the Union, just being the third state to do so. The Civil War began in April of that year, and Confederate authorities controlled St. Augustine until 1862, when Union troops gained control through the rest of the war. In 1883, Henry Flagler visited St. Augustine and ultimately changed the trajectory of its future. It was because of Henry Flagler's desire to make St. Augustine a winter resort for wealthy Americans, he formed the Florida East Coast Railway and constructed two massive hotels in 1887 that were named Hotel Ponce de Leon and Hotel Alcazar. He then purchased the Casa Monica Hotel, which was across the street from his other hotels. When the hotel opened in 1888, St. Augustine became a destination for the wealthy. But once Flagler's Florida East Coast Railway was extended to South Florida, many stopped coming to St. Augustine, opting for warmer weather in Palm Beach and Miami. With the construction of highways, many families still visit St. Augustine by car, and the city continued to profit from its many visitors. The city continued to grow, and in 1963, the African-American community was trying desperately to integrate themselves into the public schools as well as in public accommodations by nonviolent protests and sit-ins. They were often met with arrests and violence from Ku Klux Klan members, including their homes being firebombed. This is almost a decade after Brown versus Board of Education ruled segregation of schools unconstitutional. In 1964, Robert Hayling, who was St. Augustine's civil rights leader, asked Martin Luther King Jr. for assistance. For three months, King, Hayling, and Andrew Young held marches, sit-ins, and other peaceful protests. St. Augustine was the only place in Florida where Martin Luther King Jr. was arrested. Violence continued for these protesters, and it became so bad that it sparked a ton of media attention. All this attention became a key factor in the passage of the Civil Rights Act of 1964. In 1965, the city celebrated 400 years since its founding. It was important to the city to preserve and reconstruct many of the original buildings in St. Augustine back to their historical appearance. Today, when you visit, you can stop by many of the historical buildings, including the first schoolhouse, the Casa Monica Hotel, Flagler College, which used to be Hotel Ponce de Leon, Castillo de San Marcos, and the famous St. Augustine Lighthouse, which is known to be the most haunted lighthouse in all of the United States. The St. Augustine Light Tower that you see today was built in 1874 and sits at the north end of Anastasia Island. It stands 160 feet tall, painted with black and white spiral stripes and a red tower at the top. It was designed to be easily detectable by ships. But before this tower was built, the Spanish had built another one in the late 16th century made from wood. In 1737, a more sustainable lighthouse was constructed made primarily from Kakina. This is a naturally made material from this area and is made up primarily from limestone and crushed shells. Originally, they used a system of lamps and reflections to light the lighthouse, but that was later replaced with the Fresnel lens in 1853, which greatly improved visibility. It was lit by a single oil lamp that used whale oil. Joseph Andrew was the lightkeeper in 1854, and one day he was painting the tower, his scaffolding failed. 
He fell over 60 feet and struck the roof of the oil room, then a stone wall, and finally hitting the ground. He died instantly. Andrew's wife, Maria, took over the lighthouse and became the first Hispanic American woman to serve in the Coast Guard. When the Civil War began, orders from the Confederate Army had Paul Arnoux, the mayor of St. Augustine, and Maria hid the lens from the lighthouse to block Union shipping lanes. It was recovered when Arnoux was held captive. Due to erosion and coastline changes, the old tower fell into the sea in 1880. The tower ruins are now a submerged archaeological site. During the construction of the new lighthouse, Hezekiah Petit was hired to oversee the construction. With the building taking much longer than he anticipated, he moved his entire family with him and lived on site with his wife and their five children. His children would often play in the construction zone with some of the other workers' kids, deeming it their own playground. One of their favorite activities was to ride on a railway cart that was used to transfer supplies from ships to the building site. On July 10, 1873, three of the Batiste sisters, Mary, Eliza, Carrie, their son, and an unnamed African-American girl decided to ride the cart as normal. The wooden board that kept the cart from rolling into the water had been removed, which caused the cart to flip into the water, trapping the girls below it. Dan Sessions, who was an African-American worker, witnessed this event and rushed to the water to try to save the girls. Unfortunately, only the youngest petite daughter survived along with her brother. Hezekiah stayed in the area until the lighthouse was completed, but eagerly returned back north to escape the place that brought horrific tragedy to his family. After the completion of the new lighthouse in 1874, a new first order Fresnel lens was put in and lit for the first time by the lighthouse keeper, William Russell. Russell lived in the keeper's quarters at the old St. Augustine light station. The lens is nine feet tall and Russell would have to actually climb inside of it to light the lamps. On February 28, 1889, the St. Augustine Weekly News described the lens in the following manner. The lamp was a brass cylinder of 10 gallons capacity. Inside it has a heavy weight which governs the flow of oil to the burner. The burner has five wicks in concentric circles. A chimney leads to the roof. It has a damper which regulates the flame. The globe is a huge case of glass which revolves around the lamp every nine minutes. It makes a flash every three minutes when a big bullseye lines up between the lamp and the human eye. The cage weighs two tons. This lens can still be seen preserved in the lighthouse today. Even after the attack on Pearl Harbor, many residents in St. Augustine did not fear attacks from the war, and life continued on for many, until the sinking of SS Gulf America off the coast of Jacksonville in 1942. The explosion could be seen for miles. After this incident, candle power in the lighthouse was reduced and everyone was required to have blackout curtains in their homes. At night, cars were to drive without headlights. Shortly after the sinking of the SS Gulf America, German spies from Operation Pasteurus arrived on the Point Vitra shore from their submarine. Four men rode up the shore on a raft, then buried explosive in the sand and left for Jacksonville. With one of the spies admitting to the plan, it was discovered that blocks of TNT molded as soap, a pin that could start fires, and a detonation device were buried below the sand. All four spies were executed. After this incident, armed guards were stationed at the St. Augustine Lighthouse to patrol the sea 24-7. 
1955, the lighthouse lamp became fully automated and the light keepers were no longer needed. Lamp lighters were known to have the same responsibilities of a lamp keeper, but did not live on site. As a result, the keeper's house was rented for a time. In the 1980s, a fire destroyed the keeper's house, which was no longer in use, and St. John's County had plans to turn it into condominiums. But the Junior Service League stepped in and vowed to restore it. They spent the next 15 years and raised over $1.2 million to restore the keeper's house, the lighthouse tower, and the original Fresnel lens, which had actually been shot, damaging 19 prisms. In 1991, the Fresnel lens was replaced with a more modern lens. However, due to restoration from the Junior Service League, the original Fresnel lens was relit in 1993. After the restoration of the Keeper's House, it was used as a maritime museum. The St. Augustine Lighthouse and Maritime Museum Incorporated was established in 1994. Archaeologists are still working to uncover even more about the area's 500-year history. The lighthouse is still lit today, but the Fresnel lens was replaced with a 1,000-watt light bulb instead. If you decide to drop by the lighthouse, your trek up to the top includes 219 steps, but this hike will be rewarded with incredible views of downtown St. Augustine in the Atlantic Ocean. The views and history of the lighthouse aren't the only reason for all the visitors. Many come to hear the tales of those who remain tied to the lighthouse even after death. With the boasting of tremendous activity inside the lighthouse and keeper's house, ghost tours are held often and encouraged. The Dark of the Moon investigation tour, which is more limited in accessibility than a regular ghost tour, will even rent out paranormal equipment to guests. Guests will encounter the lighthouse and keeper's house in complete darkness, and to make it more of a 19th century experience, air conditioning is not provided in any of the facilities. The tour guides will share stories of their own paranormal experiences and will discuss many of the spirits that are well known in the lighthouse and surrounding areas. A few of the ghosts you may encounter on your tour are the spirits of the Petty Girls and their friend who tragically perished when they were trapped underwater during the construction of the lighthouse. Laughter is heard frequently all around the lighthouse and Keeper's House and they even try playing hide and seek with some of the tour guests. A woman who was on the Dark of the Moon tour and in the Keeper's home used an EMF meter to ask the girls if they wanted to play hide and seek. After she asked this question, the meter spiked. She went around the room using the meter to find them. When the meter spiked under the staircase, she knew she found them. And when she asked if they wanted to play again, once again, the meter responded. It wasn't until another group came in that the energy suddenly disappeared. Sightings of a girl in a blue Victorian age dress has also been seen, believing that it is the apparition of one of the girls, still wearing the same dress from her passing. Phantom smells of cigar smoke will randomly occupy the space, even though smoking is not allowed in the lighthouse or keeper's house. The smell of cigar smoke is often accompanied by a shadow figure of a tall, thin man. Unfortunately, his sightings can often create a feeling of fear and foreboding for guests. The spirit has been named the man and has also been seen dressed in a blue jacket and mariner's cap. Many believe that this is the spirit of William Russell who was a lighthouse keeper in the 1950s, but others think it's perhaps Joseph Andreu who was the keeper who fell to his death after his scaffolding failed. He has been seen walking up and down the spiral staircase, perhaps attend to the duties he once held while he was living. Another apparition that has been seen is that of a woman leaning over the railing on top of the lighthouse. This is believed to be Maria, Joseph Andreu's wife, still mourning the tragic passing of her husband. 
This isn't the only apparition of a woman that is seen, though. A woman in white is also commonly seen near the shore, but only when storms are coming. It is theorized that she comes as a warning for bad weather ahead. Also, much activity has been seen, heard, and felt not specifically attributing to any particular spirit. During tours, there have been claims of tugging at hair, shoelaces being tied to the stair railing, and some have even claimed to have been tripped by an invisible force. With similar stories being told from visitors and with the deep history of the area, it would be hard for one not to fall into the belief that something extraordinary is going on here. The only way to know, though, is to make a visit to the lighthouse yourself. You never know what might be eagerly waiting to greet you. Hey guys, uh, Holly and Brittany here. It's time for us to go deeper and maybe make things a little creepier. <laughs> Do we like that? Or is that just super cringe to say? I don't know. Um, you tell us. If not, I'm going to keep doing it because I think it's funny. And Brittany thinks it's funny. <laughs> Um, so if you did not listen to episode eight before you listened to episode nine, um, we do just want to add that we, after episode 10, we are going to take a break for a few weeks, um, just to work, work on a few things like a Patreon and a website and just to kind of get ahead on some of the episodes just so we don't leave you guys hanging. Like we did this past week when we were really sick, we, just kind of started this this podcast not really knowing what we were getting into and we were like we're gonna do 10 episodes and kind of reevaluate what are some things we want to change what are some things we really like you know I think one of the things was a we didn't know how much work it actually took to run a podcast I mean I could probably spend 40 hours a week working on this I just don't because I have kids and Brittany can't because she has a full-time job so um <laughs> yeah so we will return May 18th after episode 10 to give you guys more episodes and if we decide to take another break we'll of course let you guys know when that's going to be I truly don't know how people do multiple episodes a week and like release multiple episodes of their Patreon members I do not understand how people have time for that they're just, just a crazy yeah I guess and I don't know if it's just the way that we're doing this podcast I definitely don't want to change up the structure of it but maybe with the banter, it's just easier when it's just full banter, which if you guys are like, yeah, you're the way that you guys have. I know that a lot of people have liked our structure, but um, it's funny because when we originally created this, like I didn't want any banter because I am not a banter person. I truly don't really like listening to banter podcasts because it's just like I'm doing right now. It just can take 30 minutes to get into the actual episode. And I'm like, I just want to hear the information. But Brittany loves banter, so... Yeah, I feel like I'm sitting with my two best friends talking about spooky stuff. Yeah, so we've created the banter portion just for those of you guys that like banter. Um, And if you don't, you absolutely can turn off the episode the second we're done. So this episode, The Haunting of the St. Augustine Lighthouse... I've been disappointed for a few reasons. One, I was actually supposed to go to St. Augustine and take a ghost tour of the lighthouse for this episode. Um, planned it all out, got a Airbnb at all, and then I got the stomach bug. So could not go, could not get refunded for my Airbnb. So it was Did just... Did you get refunded anything? No, nothing. Um, oh my gosh. Yeah. So that really, really, really sucked. And... 
I actually used to live in in Jacksonville. Um, I lived there for two years. Brittany and I were born in Miami. So, you know, we're very familiar with St. Augustine, but the history is just so, it's just so intense. Like, and it's just so much information. I tried to just keep it as like simple as possible, even though it probably wasn't. And so I just think that with all of the history and just the richness of it all. I think that I was hoping for like a little bit more in terms of the hauntings of this lighthouse. I know that it like is deemed the most haunted, like one of the most haunted places in the United States. Um, and with St. Augustine being the oldest, like one of the oldest cities in the United States, like I can understand that, but I guess I'm just like disappointed and like that there just wasn't a whole lot. It was like this whole episode was mostly just like history and then like a little bit of hauntings, you know? So I want to know how they classify the most haunted. Like, I want to know what the criteria is because they said that about Malvern Manor. And yeah, then I feel everything. like, yeah, they say it about everything. Yeah, like, I know. What are the most haunted places? And it's like anywhere that's haunted. And you're yeah. like, all right. Yeah, how exactly. Do you, know? you know, I think like St. Augustine as a whole, like there are way more places that we could have covered than just the lighthouse. But like, whoo the history is a lot and just trying to keep up with all of it like maybe we'll do another episode where we include some of the other places just because I think that it's like definitely worth mentioning um and another interesting fact which I don't even know if you know this Brittany but um our great great grandfather was once the mayor of St. Augustine oh no way so his name was Amos Wooten Corbett Jr. He was elected mayor of St. Augustine in 1913. The Grace United Methodist Church in St. Augustine is where he got married to his wife, Susan Corbett, in 19, in 19, in 1895. Um, and it has like the whole same architectural style that um, Henry Flagler made popular in St. Augustine. So it's just like that. I don't even know. How to, I'm really bad at describing architecture type. So. If you've been to St. Augustine, just like the look of Flagler College and then Casa, the Casa Monica Hotel, mm. they all have that kind of same look and style. And it, it really is like very, very beautiful and it's very well known. So um, I just thought that was a cool little tidbit of information there. Um, have some history with St. Augustine. One of the main things that I thought was really interesting, and once again, like I really hope that I am not offending people by being disappointed in St. Augustine's lighthouse being, you know, just kind of disappointed with, with the hauntings of it. A natural kind of material that they used when they did a lot of their building and, um, which I know that they used originally when they used to build, um, the original lighthouse. So after the wooden lighthouse, they built another lighthouse that ended up like you heard in the episode, getting destroyed by erosion um, and fell into the sea. Um, but they used a material called kakina, which, like, it has limestone in it. So once again, limestone. Mm-hmm. Um, and since there's so much of that deposit in that area, I think, like, maybe that's why... It just, like... And it's obviously so old and so much happened and so much tragedy happened, like... Just so much happened in the area. Um, I just, I just wonder if that is what like holds a lot of um, the energy and like why it's deemed haunted. And I know it's that right they, next to water. Yeah, that too. Water being another big energy riser. And I know that they also used it to build their fort, which 
now you can apparently like put your ears to the walls of the fort hear like some of the battle cries and like all of that which I don't know if that's all true but I guess like it would have like that residual hauntings you know Mm -hmm. there so that's interesting and I'm also just living in Jacksonville when I did I'm just kind of disappointed I never went and really checked it out um I think I thought it was just more of like a hyped up thing um than it being what it is you know so I thought it was more for like tourists and like to attract tourists but doing what we're doing well it is very touristy Yes, yes, definitely very touristy. Huge tourist town if you've not been. Very, very cool. Tons of fun, but very touristy. So, yeah, that's just what I had to add about this. I really don't have a whole lot to add because there's just so much history and just like this many little bitty haunting, you know, so. I will like to add, too. I'm not really adding it, but I feel like a lot of the stories that we've done... There's just been some little girl or little girls who have gotten into trouble and have gotten themselves killed and then, like, stay in these places and play and, like, trick yeah. some of the visitors. So it's just, like, it's, like, yeah. devastating, but it's, it's not little boys. It's just little girls. Yeah, and I guess these little girls just, like, ask people to play with them or play hide-and-seek with them and be a pretty interesting experience playing hide-and-go-seek with a a ghost so well if you have the evp evps yeah the evp things you can find them that's how that one lady did now i was never like oh i want to do paranormal investigative work it's just all just carry one on you so you can just like "Mm, is this room haunted turn it on energy readings are normal you're like all right we're good yeah Yeah, in other places, except my house. Do you imagine? That would be terrifying. I feel like you would know by now. Yeah, definitely don't feel like anything's going on with my house. tend to get, like, super hyper fixated on things, and sometimes when you're way too interested in something, uh, it starts coming after you. So, once again, not trying to attach myself or get anything attached to me is the last thing I want. Because then it's like, what do you do? Like, I know that people say, like, when they're in places or I guess there's been attachments, they, like, say, you cannot follow me home. And then apparently they go away, which, like, just seems weird. I feel like that would make a spirit want to follow you home more. Yeah, I know. In one of in one of our episodes, like a guy got in his car and like could tell that something was like following him home. And like before he drove off, he was like, you're not allowed to follow me home, buddy. And I guess the spirit just was like, all right, bye. You know, so I don't maybe know. they're like vampires and they need consent to haunt you. Maybe. Yeah, they might need. Well, I don't think that's true because I don't know. Yeah. Well, we don't know. We don't know anything. This is just fun. We're having fun. I know that some of y'all are probably like, these girls are crazy, but like, we're just talking about it. We're having fun. Like, we're not like dead set at all on any of these series that we're coming up with or saying because like, hey, we're the farthest things from paranormal investigators. Like, we have no business coming up with like legitimate theories, but it's just fun. No, I definitely tell people the limestone thing is real. It could be. That that sounds like the most legitimate thing out of everything, honestly. Yeah. So, 
But yeah, so this is going to be short and sweet. Next episode will be our last episode for about four weeks. So once again, we just want to thank you all for listening. And I don't think I said this earlier in the episode. If you guys enjoy our podcast, please give us a review because it just means a lot. Um, It makes us feel like this is worth it. And we would love for everybody to listen if they're interested in this. Everybody to listen who's interested in this. I right. Don't, I don't necessarily want people who aren't to listen because then they'll just be like haters. Maybe not. Maybe not. I don't know. This has been fun. Bye, everybody. Bye. We hope you guys have a good week and we'll, you'll hear from us next week. Bye. Bye. episode was produced, written, and edited by Holly Daniel and Brittany Murray. Cover art by Ben May. We want to thank you for listening to this production of Sister Stitious. 